THE TWO TOWERS, BOOK ONE, CHAPTER FOUR, TREEBEARD Meanwhile the hobbits went with as much speed as the dark and tangled forest allowed, following the line of the running stream, westward and up towards the slopes of the mountains, deeper and deeper into Fangorn. Slowly their fear of the orcs died away, and their pace slackened. A queer, stifling feeling came over them, as if the air were too thin or too scanty for breathing. At last Mary halted. "'We can't go on like this,' he panted. "'I want some air.' "'Let's have a drink, at any rate,' said Pippin. "'I'm parched.' He clambered on to a great tree-root that wound down into the stream, and stooping drew up some water in his cupped hands. It was clear and cold, and he took many draughts. Mary followed him. The water refreshed them, and seemed to cheer their hearts. For a while they sat together on the brink of the stream, dabbling their sore feet and legs, and peering round at the trees that stood silently about them, rank upon rank, until they faded away into grey twilight in every direction. "'I suppose you haven't lost us already,' said Pippin, leaning back against a great tree-trunk. "'We can at least follow the course of this stream, the Entwash, or whatever you call it, and get out again the way we came.' "'We could, if our legs would do it,' said Mary, "'and if we could breathe properly.' "'Yes, it is all very dim and stuffy in here,' said Pippin. "'It reminds me somehow of the old room in the great place of the Tooks, "'away back in the Smeals at Tuckborough. "'A huge place, where the furniture has never been moved or changed for generations. "'They say the old Took lived in it year after year, "'while he and the room got older and shabbier together.' and it has never been changed since he died a century ago. And old Gerontius was my great-great-grandfather. That puts it back a bit. But that is nothing to the feeling of this wood. Look at all those weeping, trailing beards and whiskers of lichen. And most of the trees seem to be half covered with ragged dry leaves that, has never, that have never fallen. Untidy. I can't imagine what spring would look like here, if it ever comes. Still less a spring cleaning." "'But the sun, at any rate, must peep in sometimes,' said Mary. "'It does not look or feel at all like Bilbo's description of Mirkwood. "'That was all dark and black, and the home of dark black things. "'This is just dim and frightfully tree-ish. "'You can't imagine animals living here at all, or staying for long.' "'No, nor hobbits,' said Pippin. "'And I don't like the thought of trying to get through it, either. "'Nothing to eat for hundreds of miles, I should guess. "'How are our supplies?' "'Lo,' said Mary, "'we ran off with nothing but a couple of spare packets of Lembus, "'and left everything else behind.' "'They looked at what remained of the elven cakes, "'broken fragments for about five meagre days, "'and that was all. "'And not a wrap or a blanket,' said Mary. "'We shall be cold to-night, whichever way we go.' "'Well, we'd better decide on the way now,' said Pippin. "'The morning must be getting on.' Just then they became aware of a yellow light that had appeared, some way further on into the wood. Shafts of sunlight seemed suddenly to have pierced the forest roof. Hello, said Mary. "'The sun must have run into a cloud while we've been under these trees, and now she has run out again, or else she has climbed high enough to look down through some opening. It isn't far. Let's go and investigate.' They found it was further than they thought. The ground was rising steeply still, and it was becoming increasingly stony. 
The light grew broader as they went on, and soon they saw that there was a rock wall before them, the side of a hill, or the abrupt end of some long route thrust out by the distant mountains. No trees grew on it, and the sun was falling full on its stony face. The twigs of the trees at its foot were stretched out stiff and still, as if reaching out to the warmth. Where all had looked so shabby and grey before, the wood now gleamed with rich browns, and with the smooth black greys of bark like polished leather. The boles of the trees glowed with a soft green like young grass. Early spring, or a fleeting vision of it, was about them. In the face of the stony wall there was something like a stair, natural perhaps, and made by the weathering and splitting of the rock, for it was rough and uneven. High up, almost level with the tops of the forest trees, there was a shelf under a cliff. Nothing grew there but a few grasses and weeds at its edge, and one old stump of a tree with only two bent branches left. It looked almost like the figure of some gnarled old man standing there, blinking in the morning light. "'Up we go,' said Mary, joyfully. "'Now for a breath of air and a sight of the land.' They climbed and scrambled up the rock. If the stair had been made, it was for bigger feet and longer legs than theirs. They were too eager to be surprised at the remarkable way in which the cuts and sores of their captivity had healed, and their vigour had returned. They came at length to the edge of the shelf almost at the feet of the old stump. Then they sprang up and turned round with their backs to the hill, breathing deep and looking out eastward. They saw that they had only come some three or four miles into the forest. The heads of the trees marched down the slopes towards the plain. There, near the fringe of the forest, tall spires of curling black smoke went up, wavering and floating towards them. "'The wind's changing,' said Mary. "'It's turned east again. It feels cool up here.' "'Yes,' said Pippin. "'I'm afraid this is only a passing gleam, and it will all go grey again. What a pity! This shaggy old forest looks so different in the sunlight. I almost felt I liked the place.' "'Almost felt you liked the forest? "'That's good, that's uncommonly kind of you,' said a strange voice. "'Turn round and let me have a look at your faces. "'I almost feel that I dislike you both, but do not let us be hasty. "'Turn around.' "'A large, knob-knuckled hand was laid on each of their shoulders, "'and they were twisted round, gently but irresistibly. "'Then two great arms lifted them up. They found that they were looking at a most extraordinary face. It belonged to a large, man-like, almost troll-like figure, at least fourteen foot high, very sturdy, with a tall head, and hardly any neck. Whether it was clad in stuff like green and grey bark, or whether that was its hide, was difficult to say. At any rate, the arms, at a short distance from the trunk, were not wrinkled, but covered with a brown, smooth skin. The large feet had seven toes each. The lower part of the long face was covered with a sweeping grey beard, bushy, almost twiggy at the roots, thin and mossy at the ends. But the moment the hobbits noted, but at the moment the hobbits noted little but the eyes. These deep eyes were now surveying them, slow and solemn, but very penetrating. They were brown, shot with green light. Often afterwards Pippin tried to describe his first impression of them. 
one felt as if there was an enormous well behind them, filled up with ages of memory and long, slow, steady thinking, but their surface was sparkling with the present, like sun shimmering on the outer leaves of a vast tree, or the ripples of a very deep lake. I don't know, but it felt as if something that grew in the ground, asleep, you might say, or just feeling itself as something between root-tip and leaf-tip, between deep earth and sky, had suddenly waked up, and was considering you, with the same slow care that it had given to its own inside affairs for endless years. "'Hrum, hum,' murmured the voice, a deep voice, like a very deep woodwind instrument. "'Very odd indeed. Do not be hasty. That is my motto. But if I had seen you before I heard your voices—I <clears throat> liked them, nice little voices. They reminded me of something I cannot remember. If I had seen you before I heard you, I should have just trodden on you, taking you for little orcs, and found out my mistake afterwards. Very odd you are indeed, root and twig, very odd.' Pippin, though still amazed, no longer felt afraid. Under those eyes he felt a curious suspense, but not fear. "'Please,' he said, "'who are you, and what are you?' <clears throat> a queer look came into the old eyes. <clears throat> <clears throat> a queer look came into the old eyes, a kind of wariness. The deep wells were covered over. "'Hrum, now,' answered the voice. "'Well, I am an ent.' "'or that's what they call me. "'Yes, Ent is the word. "'The Ent, I am, you might say, in your manner of speaking. "'Fangorn is my name, according to some. "'Treebeard, others make it. "'Treebeard will do.' "'An Ent?' said Mary. "'What's that? "'But what do you call yourself? "'What's your real name?' "'Who now?' replied Treebeard. "'Who now that would be telling. "'Not so hasty. "'And I am doing the asking.' "'You are in my country. "'What are you, I wonder? "'I cannot place you. "'You do not seem to come in the old lists "'that I learned when I was young. "'But that was a long, long time ago, "'and they may have made new lists. "'Let me see, let me see. "'How did it go?' "'Learn now the lore of living creatures. First name the four, the, the free peoples. "'Eldest of all, the elf children. "'Dwarf the delver, dark are his houses.' And to the earth-born, old as mountains, man the mortal, master of horses. Hum, hum, hum. Beaver the builder, buck the leaper, bear bee-hunter, boar the fighter, hound is hungry, hare is fearful. Hum, hum. Eagle in eyrie, ox in pasture, heart horn-crowned, hawk is swiftest, swan the whitest, serpent coldest. Hum, 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 how did it go? Room-tum, room-tum, room-ti-tum-tum. It was a long list, but anyway you do not seem to fit in anywhere. We always seem to have got left out of the old lists and the old stories, said Mary, yet we've been about for quite a long time. We are hobbits. Why not make a new line, said Pippin. Half-grown hobbits, the hole-dwellers. "'Put us in amongst the four, next to man, the big people, and you've got it.' "'Hm, not bad, not bad,' said Treebeard. "'That would do. So you live in holes, eh? It sounds very right and proper. Who calls you hobbits, though? That does not sound elvish to me. 
Elves made all the old words. They began it. "'Nobody else calls us hobbits. We call ourselves that,' said Pippin. "'Hum, hum, come now, not so hasty. You call yourselves hobbits? But you should not go telling just anybody. You'll be letting out your own right names if you're not careful.' "'We aren't careful about that,' said Mary. "'As a matter of fact, I'm a brandy-buck, Mary-a-dock brandy-buck, though most people call me just Mary. "'And I'm a took, peregrine took, but I'm generally called Pippin, or even Pip.' "'Hm, but you are hasty folk, I see,' said Treebeard. "'I am honoured by your confidence, but you should not be too free all at once. "'There are ents and ents, you know, or there are ents and things that look like ents, but ain't, as you might say. "'I'll call you Mary and Pippin, if you please. Nice names. "'For I am not going to tell you my name, not yet, at any rate.' "'A queer, half-knowing, half-humorous look came with a green flicker into his eyes.' For one thing, it would take a, a long while. My name is growing all the time, and I've lived a very long, long time, so my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of the things they belong to in my language, in the old Entish, as you might say. It is a lovely language, but it takes a very long time to say anything in it, because we do not say anything in it, unless it is worth taking a long time to say, and to listen to. But now— and the eyes became very bright and present, seeming to grow smaller and almost sharp. "'What is going on? What are you doing in it all? I can see and hear and smell and feel a great deal from this, from this, from this, Alalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal
"'If you would like to hear more,' said Mary, "'we will tell you. "'But it will take some time. "'Wouldn't you like to put us down? "'Couldn't we sit here together in the sun while it lasts? "'You must be getting tired of holding us up.' "'Hum, tired? "'No, I am not tired. "'I do not easily get tired, and I do not sit down. "'I am not very, hum, bendable. "'But there, the sun is going in. "'Let us leave this—did you say what you call it?' "'Hill?' suggested Pippin. "'Shelf? Step?' suggested Mary. Treebeard repeated the words thoughtfully. "'Hill! Yes, that was it. But it is a hasty word for a thing that has stood here ever since this part of the world was shaped. Never mind. Let us leave it and go.' "'Where shall we go?' asked Mary. "'To my home, or one of my homes,' answered Treebeard. "'Is it far?' "'I do not know.' "'You might call it far, perhaps, but what does that matter?' "'Well, you see, we have lost all our belongings,' said Mary. "'We have only a little food.' "'Oh, hmm, you need not trouble about that,' said Treebeard. "'I can give you a drink that will keep you green and growing for a long, long while. "'And if we decide to part company, I can set you down outside my country at any point you choose. "'Let us go.' Holding the hobbits gently but firmly, one in the crook of each arm, Treebeard lifted up first one large foot, and then the other, and moved them to the edge of the shelf. The root-like toes grasped the rocks. Then, carefully and solemnly, he stalked down from step to step, and reached the floor of the forest. At once he set off with long, deliberate strides through the trees, deeper and deeper into the wood, never far from the stream, "'climbing steadily up towards the slopes of the mountains. "'Many of the trees seemed asleep, "'or as unaware of him as of any other creature "'that merely passed by. "'But some quivered, "'and some raised up their branches above his head as he approached. "'All the while, as he walked, "'he talked to himself in a long running stream of musical sounds. "'The hobbits were silent for some time. "'They felt, oddly enough, safe and comfortable.' and they had a great deal to think and wonder about. At last Pippin ventured to speak again. "'Please, Treebeard,' he said, "'could I ask you something? Why did Celeborn warn us against your forest? He told us not to risk getting entangled in it.' "'Hm, did he now?' rumbled Treebeard. "'And I might have said much the same if you had been going the other way. "'Do not risk getting entangled in the woods of Lorelindorinan.' "'Laura Lindornan, yes. "'That is what the elves used to call it, "'but now they make the name shorter. "'Lothlorien, they call it. "'Perhaps they are right. "'Maybe it is fading, not growing. "'Land of the Valley of Singing Gold. "'That was it, once upon a time. "'Now it is the Dream Flower. "'Ah, well. "'But it is a queer place, "'and not for just anyone to venture in. "'I am surprised that you ever got out.' "'but much more surprised that you ever got in. "'That has not happened to strangers for many a year. "'It is a queer land. "'And so is this. Folk have, "'Folk have come to grief here. "'Aye, they have, to grief. "'Lorelindorinan, Lindelorendor, "'Malinornelion, Ornemalin. "'Malinornelion, Ornemalin. <clears throat> i do that again. Laura Lindorinan, Lindel 
Lindelorendor, Malinorneleon, Ornimalen, he hummed to himself. They are falling rather behind the world in there, I guess, he said. Neither this country nor anything else outside the Golden Wood is what it was when Celeborn was young. Still, Tara Lilome, Tumbalemorna, Tumbaletaurea, Lomeanor, is what they used to say. Things have changed, but it is still true in places. What do you mean? said Pippin. What is true? The trees and the ents, said Treebeard. I do not understand all that goes on myself, so I cannot explain it to you. Some of us are still true ents, and lively enough in our fashion, but many are growing sleepy, going tree-ish, as you might say. Most of the trees are just trees, of course, but many are half awake. Some are quite wide awake, and a few are, well, ah, well, getting entish. That is going on all the time. When that happens to a tree, you find that some have bad hearts. Nothing to do with their wood, I do not mean that. Why, I knew some quite good old willows down the entwash, gone long ago, alas. They were quite hollow, indeed they were falling all to pieces, but as quiet and sweet-spoken as a young leaf. And then there are some trees in the valleys under the mountains, sound as a bell, and bad right through. That sort of thing seems to spread. There used to be some very dangerous parts in this country. There are still some very black patches. "'Like the old forest away to the north, do you mean?' asked Mary. "'Ay, ay, something like, but much worse. I do not doubt there is some shadow of the great darkness lying there, still away north, and bad memories are handed down. But there are hollow dales in this land, where the darkness has never been lifted, and the trees are older than I am. Still, we do what we can. We keep off strangers and the foolhardy, and we train and we teach, we walk and we weed.' We are tree-herds, we old ents. Few enough of us are left now. Sheep get like shepherd, and shepherds like sheep, it is said, but slowly, and neither have long in the world. It is quicker and closer with trees and ents, and they walk down the ages together. For ents are more like elves, less interested in themselves than men are, and better at getting inside other things. And yet ents are more like men, more changeable than elves are, and quicker at taking the colour of the outside, you might say. Or better than both, for they are steadier, and keep their minds on things longer. Some of my kin look just like trees now, and need something great to rouse them, and they speak only in whispers. But some of my trees are limb-lithe, and many can talk to me. Elves began it, of course, waking trees up and teaching them to speak and learning their tree-talk. They always wished to talk to everything the old elves did. But then the great darkness came, and they passed away over the sea, or fled into far valleys, and hid themselves, and made songs about days that would never come again. Never again. Ay, ay, there was all one wood once upon a time, from here to the mountains of Loon, and this was just the east end. Those were the broad days. Time was when I could walk and sing all day, and hear no more than the echo of my own voice in the hollow hills. The woods were like the woods of Lothlorien, only thicker, stronger, younger. And the smell of the air. I used to spend a week just breathing. Treebeard fell silent, striding along, and yet making hardly a sound with his great feet. 
Then he began to hum again, and passed into a murmuring chant. Gradually the hobbits became aware that he was chanting to them. In the willow meads of Tassar... Tassarinen, Tassarinen. In the willow meads of Tassarinen I walked in the spring. Ah, the sight and the smell of the spring in Nantassarion. And I said that was good. I wandered in summer in the elm woods of Osiriand. Ah, the light and the music in the summer by the seven rivers of Osir. And I thought that was best. To the beaches of Neldoreth I came in the autumn. Ah, the gold and the red and the sighing of leaves in the autumn in Tower Eldor. It was more than my desire. To the pine trees upon the highland of Dorthonian I climbed in the winter. Ah, the wind and the whiteness and the black branches of winter upon Orad Nathon. My voice went up and sang in the sky, and now all those lands lie under the wave, and I walk in Ambarona, in Tauramorna, in Aldalome, in my own land, in the country of Fangorn, where the roots are long, and the years lie thicker than the leaves, in Tauramornalome. He ended, and strode on silently, and in all the wood, as far as ear could reach, there was not a sound. The day waned, and the dusk was twined about the boles of the trees. At last the hobbits saw, rising dimly before them, a steep dark land. They had come to the feet of the mountains, and to the great green roots of tall methedras. Down the hillside the young entwash, leaping from its springs high above, ran noisily from step to step to meet them. On the right of the stream there was a long slope, clad with grass, now grey in the twilight. No trees grew there, and it was open to the sky. Stars were shining already in lakes between shores of cloud. Treebeard strode up the slope, hardly slackening his pace. Suddenly before them the hobbits saw a wide opening. Two great trees stood there, one on either side, like living gate-posts, but there was no gate save their crossing and interwoven boughs. As the old ent approached, the trees lifted up their branches, and all their leaves quivered and rustled, for they were evergreen trees, and their leaves were dark and polished, and gleamed in the twilight. Beyond them was a wide level space, as though the floor of a great hall had been cut in the side of the hill. On either hand the walls sloped upwards, until they were fifty feet high or more, and along each wall stood an aisle of trees that also increased in height as they marched inwards. At the far end the rock wall was sheer, but at the bottom it had been hollowed back into a shallow bay with an arched roof, the only roof of the hall save the branches of the trees, which at the inner end overshadowed all the ground, leaving only a broad open path in the middle. A little stream escaped from the springs above, and leaving the main water fell tinkling down the sheer face of the wall, pouring in silver drops like a fine curtain in front of the arched bay. The water was gathered again into a stone basin in the floor between the trees, and thence it spilled and flowed away beside the open path, out to rejoin the entwash in its journey through the forest. "'Hum, here we are,' said Treebeard, breaking his long silence. I have brought you about seventy thousand entstrides, but what that comes to in the measurement of your land I do not know. Anyhow, we are near the roots of the last mountain. 
Part of the name of this place might be Wellinghall, if it were turned into your language. I like it. We will stay here to-night. He set them down on the grass between the aisles of the trees, and they followed him towards the great arch. The hobbits now noticed that, as he walked, his knees hardly bent, but his legs opened in a great stride. He planted his big toes, and they were big indeed and very broad, on the ground first, before any other part of his feet. For a moment Treebeard stood under the rain of the falling spring, and took a deep breath. Then he laughed and passed inside. A great stone table stood there, but no chairs. At the back of the bay it was already quite dark. Treebeard lifted two great vessels and stood them on the table. They seemed to be filled with water, but he held his hands over them, and immediately they began to glow, one with a golden and the other with a rich green light, and the blending of the two lights lit the bay as if the sun of summer was shining through a roof of young leaves. Looking back, the hobbits saw that the trees in the court had also begun to glow, faintly at first, but steadily quickening, until every leaf was edged with light, some green, some gold, some red as copper, while the tree-trunks looked like pillars moulded out of luminous stone. "'Well, well, now we can talk again,' said Treebeard. "'You are thirsty, I expect. Perhaps you are also tired. Drink this.' He went to the back of the bay, and then they saw that several tall stone jars stood there, with heavy lids. He removed one of the lids, and dipped in a great ladle, and with it filled three bowls, one very large bowl, and two smaller ones. "'This is an ent-house,' he said, "'and there are no seats, I fear, but you may sit on the table.' Picking up the hobbits, he set them on the great stone slab, six feet above the ground, and there they sat dangling their legs, and drinking in sips. The drink was like water, indeed very like the taste of the draughts they had drunk from the ant-wash near the borders of the forest, and yet there was some scent or savour in it which they could not describe. It was faint, but it reminded them of the smell of a distant wood borne from afar by a cool breeze at night. The effect of the draught began at the toes, and rose steadily through every limb, bringing refreshment and vigour as it coursed upwards, right to the tips of the hair. Indeed, the hobbits felt that their hair— <clears throat> Indeed, the hobbits felt that the hair on their heads was actually standing up, waving and curling and growing. As for Treebeard, he first laved his feet in the basin beyond the arch, and then he drained his bowl at one draught, one long, slow draught. The hobbits thought he would never stop. At last he set the bowl down again. "'Ah, ah!' he sighed. "'Hum, hum! Now we can talk easier. You can sit on the floor, and I will lie down. That will prevent this drink from rising to my head and sending me to sleep.' On the right side of the bay there was a great bed on low legs, not more than a couple of feet high, covered deep in dried grass and bracken. Treebeard lowered himself slowly on to this, with only the slightest sign of bending at his middle, until he lay at full length, with his arms behind his head, looking up at the ceiling, upon which lights were flickering, like the play of leaves in the sunshine. Mary and Pippin sat beside him on pillows of grass. "'Now tell me your tale, and do not hurry,' said Treebeard. The hobbits began to tell him the story of their adventures ever since they left Hobbiton. They followed no very clear order— 
for they interrupted one another continually, and Treebeard often stopped the speaker and went back to some earlier point, or jumped forward asking questions about later events. They said nothing whatever about the ring, and did not tell him why they set out, or where they were going to, and he did not ask for any reasons. He was immensely interested in everything, in the Black Riders, in Elrond and Rivendell, in the Old Forest and Tom Bombadil, in the mines of Moria, and in Lothlorien and Galadriel. He made them describe the Shire and its country over and over again. He said an odd thing at this point. "'You never see any, hmm, any Ents round there, do you?' he asked. "'Well, not Ents. Entwives, I should really say.' "'Entwives?' said Pippin. "'Are they like you at all?' "'Yes, hum, well, no, I do not really know now,' said Treebeard thoughtfully. "'But they would like your country, so I just wondered.' Treebeard was, however, especially interested in everything that concerned Gandalf, and most interested of all in Saruman's doings. The hobbits regretted very much that they knew so little about them, only a rather vague report by Sam of what Gandalf had told the council. But they were clear at any rate that Ugluk and his troop came from Isengard, and spoke of Saruman as their master. "'Hum, hum,' said Treebeard, when at last their story had wound and wandered down to the Battle of the Orcs and the Riders of Rohan. "'Well, well, that is a bundle of news, and no mistake. You have not told me all—no, indeed, not by a long way— but I do not doubt that you are doing as Gandalf would wish. There is something very big going on, that I can see, and what it is maybe I shall learn in good time, or in bad time. By root and twig, but it is a strange business. Up sprout a little folk that are not in the old lists, and behold, the nine forgotten riders reappear to hunt them, and Gandalf takes them on a long journey, and Galadriel harbours them in Caras Galadon, and orcs pursue them down all the leagues of Wilderland. Indeed, they seem to be caught up in a great storm. I hope they weather it. "'And what about yourself?' asked Mary. "'Whom, whom, I have not troubled about the great wars,' said Treebeard. "'They mostly concern elves and men. That is the business of wizards. Wizards are always troubled about the future. I do not like worrying about the future. I am not altogether on anybody's side.' "'because nobody is altogether on my side, if you understand me. "'Nobody cares for the woods as I care for them, not even elves nowadays. "'Still, I take more kindly to elves than to others. "'It was the elves that cured us of dumbness long ago, "'and that was a great gift that cannot be forgotten, "'though our ways have parted since. "'And there are some things, of course, whose side I am altogether not on. "'I am against them altogether, these burarum.' He again made a deep rumble of disgust. These orcs and their masters. I used to be anxious when the shadow lay on Mirkwood, but when it removed to Mordor I did not trouble for a while. Mordor is a long way away, but it seems that the wind is setting east, and the withering of all woods may be drawing near. There is naught that an old ent can do to hold back that storm. He must weather it or crack. But Saruman now, Saruman is a neighbour. I cannot overlook him. I must do something, I suppose. I have often wondered lately what I should do about Saruman. "'Who is Saruman?' asked Pippin. "'Do you know anything about his history?' 
"'Saruman is a wizard,' answered Treebeard. "'More than that I cannot say. "'I do not know the history of wizards. "'They appeared first after the great ships came over the sea, "'but if they came with the ships I never can tell. "'Saruman was reckoned great among them, I believe. "'He gave up wandering about "'and minding the affairs of men and elves some time ago. "'You would call it a very long time ago. "'And he settled down at Angrenast, or Isengard, as the men of Rohan call it. He was very quiet to begin with, but his fame began to grow. He was chosen to be the head of the White Council, they say, but that did not turn out too well. I wonder now if even then Saruman was not turning to evil ways. But at any rate he used to give no trouble to his neighbours. I used to talk to him. There was a time when he was always walking about my woods. He was polite in those days, always asking my leave, at least when he met me, and always eager to listen. I told him many things that he would never have found out by himself, but he never repaid me in like kind. I cannot remember that he ever told me anything. And he got more and more like that. His face, as I remember it, I have not seen it for many a day, became like windows in a stone wall, windows with shutters inside. I think that I now understand what he is up to. He is plotting to become a power. He has a mind of metal and wheels, and he does not care for growing things, except as far as they serve him for the moment. And now it is clear that he is a black traitor. He has taken up with foul folk, with the orcs. Brum, whom, worse than that, he has been doing something, something to them, something dangerous. For these Isengarders are more like wicked men." It is a mark of evil things that come in that came in the great darkness that they cannot abide the sun, but Saruman's orcs can endure it, even if they hate it. I wonder what he has done. Are they men he has ruined, or has he blended the races of orcs and men? That would be a black evil. Treebeard rumbled for a moment, as if he were pronouncing some deep subterranean entish malediction. "'Some time ago I began to wonder how orcs dared to pass through my woods so freely,' he went on. "'Only lately did I guess that Saruman was to blame, and that long ago he had been spying out all the ways, and discovering my secrets. "'He and his foul folk are making havoc now. Down on the borders they are felling trees—good trees. "'Some of the trees they just cut down and leave to rot. Orc mischief, that—' but most are hewn up and carried off to feed the fires of Orthanc. There is always a smoke rising from Isengard these days. Curse him, root and branch. Many of those trees were my friends, creatures I had known from nut and acorn. Many had voices of their own that are lost forever now. And there are wastes of stump and bramble, where once there were singing groves. I have been idle. I have let things slip. It must stop. Treebeard raised himself from his bed with a jerk, stood up, and thumped his hand on the table. The vessels of light trembled and set up two jets of flame. There was a flicker like green fire in his eyes, and his beard stood out stiff as a great besom. "'I will stop it,' he boomed, "'and you shall come with me. You may be able to help me. You will be helping your own friends that way, too, for if Saruman is not checked, Rohan and Gondor will have an enemy behind it as well as in front.' Our roads go together, to Isengard. 
"'We will come with you,' said Mary. "'We will do what we can.' "'Yes,' said Pippin. "'I should like to see the white hand overthrown. "'I should like to be there, even if I could not be of much use. "'I shall never forget Ugluk and the crossing of Rohan.' "'Good, good,' said Treebeard. "'But I spoke hastily. "'We must not be hasty. "'I have become too hot. "'I must cool myself and think, "'for it is easier to shout stop than to do it.' "'He strode to the archway "'and stood for some time under the falling rain of the spring.' Then he laughed and shook himself, and wherever the drops of water fell glittering from him to the ground, they glinted like red and green sparks. He came back and laid himself on the bed again, and was silent. I think I'll stop this chapter there, and continue next time.